is episode 24 of the Music Therapy Chronicles podcast with Christina Wiemet. And she looked me in the eye and she said, you noticed me. <laughs> I said, what? You noticed me. That's all she said. And I, I just... I was so stunned, and, you know, I thought I need to notice everybody. I have never forgotten Marion, I just, so that's one of the things I try to do, is to notice everybody no matter what, you know, and it's basic, we all know it, but um, it took Marion for me to really understand that. You're listening to the Music Therapy Chronicles, a podcast about music therapy from a variety of perspectives. Our ambition is to inspire and connect listeners through meaningful conversations, just like a music therapy conference you can listen to anywhere. My name is Trisha Coyote, and I am a board-certified music therapist from the New England region. If you like what you hear, join our group on Facebook and share your own insights and thoughts about the episodes. You can also connect with us on social media and online at Music Therapy Chronicles. back to the Music Therapy Chronicles podcast. In this week's episode, we have our first in-person interview, which is super exciting. So Christina uh, was introduced to me through a family member. She is a relatively local music therapist to where I reside. And so she was kind enough to host me for this interview. We had a little tea party. She made scones. It was absolutely beautiful. Christina has been a music therapist for several years and also became a music therapist later in life. So in this episode, we talk about how her life experiences leading up to her music therapy education impacted her education and her practice itself. She also shares some of the unique compilation of experiences and training she has the most impactful to me to learn about was how she handles and formulates a memorial service which is something I feel a lot of us are asked to do and if you're anything like me it can be a little uncomfortable so hearing her protocol for how she develops a memorial service was really helpful for me and something that I will probably come back to in the future should the opportunity occur. If you're enjoying the podcast, please feel free to write us a review on iTunes. The reviews really help this podcast be more visible and I appreciate your kind words. Thank you everyone so much who has already written a review. Please also consider joining our group on Facebook and following us on social media. You're most active on Instagram and Facebook. And if you or someone you know is interested in being on the podcast, please shoot an email over to feedback at musictherapychronicles.com. 
And finally, Music Therapy Chronicles has a Patreon page. So if you're interested in becoming a patron, please check out patreon.com slash music therapy chronicles. I will be offering the exclusive opportunity there to ask guest questions. So please check that out if there are some guests in the past that you thought, gee, there's really a question I want to ask them. You could have that opportunity in the future. Alrighty, please enjoy this interview with Christina. This probably goes without saying, but since this was an in-person interview, the audio is a little different than usual, but I hope that you will enjoy it just the same. Hello, Christina. Welcome to the podcast. Hello, Tisha. I'm happy to be doing this. So this is my first in-person interview, and I'm just going to create the image for the listeners. Christina has made tea and scones and housed me um, in her home for this interview. So thank you to her for that so much. And how are you today? I'm wonderful. Really feeling good good yeah good you have your bright sunny orange on i do (laughs) so can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself sure um well i'm in my 70s and still working full-time at tewksbury hospital where i've been for the last 26 years and i um i love the work and I feel good about who I am after all these years. I feel like I've learned so much and um, I just feel the richness of life and I'm just grateful all the time. That's so beautiful. I think if we can all be in that place of gratitude more, our lives would be so different. It's true. So you have a very interesting life story journey to where you are now as a music therapist, as a person. Can you tell us some of that story? Sure. Um, I grew up in a, a very Catholic culture. So at age 18, I did enter a religious congregation and um, was there for nine years. And I think one of the reasons I stayed the first three years, which were the training time, was that we sang all the time. And the novice mistress was a very skilled musician. So we sang and sang and sang. And um, <clears throat> so then I, <clears throat> I went out to teach. And um, I taught for six years, and the one thing that the kids re- always remember is the music that we did. Uh, so I'd have this rolling piano, big upright piano, and the kids would move it from room to room, and we would sing. So then um, when I decided to do something else in my life, I knew it had to be music-based because that's what I love. But I didn't have the faintest idea. This was, excuse me, the early 70s. I had never heard of music therapy. And um, so I 
I tried various jobs and um, one day I was driving along and on the radio comes an advertisement for the music therapy program at Emmanuel College. And it was like a ray of grace coming down on me. I called him up and uh, met Donna Chadwick and the rest is history. Um, I got my certification in 1987, but was still working at uh, Northeastern University <clears throat> and um, just didn't think I could know how to find a job or um, but I had met a woman who kept saying to me, we need a music therapist at Tewksbury Hospital. And this was like 1988. <clears throat> and I said, oh, no, 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 I can't do that. <laughs> it took me a long time to come to realize that I had something to offer. And so in 1993, after a few different moves, I went there and um, I talked to the head of the social work department who had heard Joan Whitcomb at a conference speak and Joan Whitcomb blew him away. And so he was so open to music therapy. And at the time, Tewksbury was mostly old people and this was my kind of people. So um, <clears throat> I, I, and oh, I was working at a nursing home at the time, and I called it the nursing home from hell. But um, it was it was a hard place to be, and so finally I just quit. And I called Tom Foley, the head of social work, and said, "Tom, I just quit my job." <laughs> and he said well, let's see what I can do. So he got me 10 hours of work. And three months later, I had 37 hours of work. So wow. that's how I ended up at Tewksbury. And you've been there ever since? Ever since 1993. Wow. Yeah. Awesome. So how, how have you seen the population and the care at Tewksbury change over the years? Because there's been a lot of societal mind shifts and even in our profession there have been a lot of theoretical mind shifts so what have you seen that transformation look like it's been huge um, when I first got to the hospital as I say it was mostly old people that were there to die and over the years <clears throat> as so many state hospitals have closed. Tewksbury has, has always tried to stay in the forefront of whatever the needs are in our society, in our state. So they realized that uh, we could stay open if we became a rehab hospital. And so instead of people coming to the hospital to live out their later years and die, we now have a hospital where people are coming and going all the time. 
except for the Huntington's disease folks who are there to die. Um, so it's, it's just been amazing. We have so many populations that we didn't have. We have, <clears throat> excuse me, a lot of Department of Developmental Service units. We have brain injured unit. We have sex offender unit. We have uh, drug abuse disease unit. We have um, kind of mixed units. So there's seven. And um, it's just such a vibrant place um, with a very racially mixed staff and, um, and just people that are trying their best to, to make the hospital a good place to be. I can imagine, especially if they were looking for a music therapist before the turn of the century, that's unheard <laughs> of. So they must be a more forward-thinking crowd. Well, they had art therapy. Uh, um, in 19, I think the early 1990s, when Danvers State Hospital closed, the mental health folks came to Tewksbury. So we have five units of mental health, and they always had art therapists. Um, they do, uh, they do have, a, they have a wonderful music therapist there um, who works in the rehab building. Um, but I've been the first and only music therapist for the public health side since 93. Wow. Yeah. So you've kind of had the opportunity to build and grow that program and your vision. Yeah. What's that been like? <laughs> um, well, to be honest, <laughs> um, you know, what did I know? Um, you, you know, you start out in a profession, even though I was 47, I was very insecure about, you know, how to, what to do. So my goal was to just try and involve people musically. So, <clears throat> excuse me. So that's what I did mostly, but I made sure I was on all of the seven units. Actually, there were eight um, when I first started. And, um, but over the years, as things have changed, I've certainly tried to, you know, change with the needs. Um, I was able to get a beautiful um, collection of drums, um, congas and djembes, <clears throat> because I saw an incredible need, especially with people who couldn't talk or people from another culture, um, that it, you know, how to involve them. And, and a drum seemed to be a wonderful way to do it. So that's how that started. And so now we have drumming groups and, um, and doing a lot of re relaxation work with some of the um, substance use disease folks and on the brain injured floor and um, with the DDS clients trying to get them to move <laughs> their bodies. And um, so trying to do a lot of movement. So it's just, hopefully it's been an organic 
um, development of how the program has changed. I see that this is slowly falling. So oh, I'm gonna, okay. I'm gonna tighten that. So does a typical day for you look more like groups, individual sessions? Do you see every unit every day? Every day is different. <laughs> right. Every day is different. Um, <clears throat> Thursday is drum day. <laughs> um, so I do either two, three, or four groups a day and then see. I have about, usually run about 13 individuals. So within the week, I, I am either doing the specific group at a specific time and then seeing individuals when they're awake, when they're not in PT or OT, or when, you know, uh, when they're not doing something else, I, I slip right in and be with them. Um, so it's, it's varied. I'll, I'll go from... Um, a DDS floor to the Huntington's floor to the brain injured floor and it's, it's just and I have this big car <laughs> I have my cart with CDs and my CD player and my guitar on the on the top and then my bag on top my instrument bag and then a stool and off I go I'm sure many people listening can relate to that. Uh, it's nice to be in a building where you can have a cart. Yes. Yeah. And this, the rolling stool. I don't know how I ever got along without it. But it's great because I can zoom around a group, you know, and just relate to each, each um, patient. And it's just great. That just made me think of, um, for those listening who don't know, I did my internship at a state hospital. And one conversation that I frequently had with my supervisor was, do you wear your guitar strap or not? Mm -hmm. Part of it is yes, you can stand up if you need to without endangering the instrument. Right. Part of it is no, because then you are attached to the <laughs> instrument should something happen. So a rolling stool sounds like a great alternative for that. Wonderful. Couldn't, I, I can't get along without it. Well, and also sometimes you're doing therapy in a, a strange location where you can't really sit down and you don't want There's to sit no on the floor. There's no chair, right. There's no chair. And yeah, yeah, I love it. And I got it from the PT people. I didn't even ask for it. They just presented it to me. It was great. <laughs> That's perfect. So that should be, you know, you should learn your guitar skills, your piano <laughs> skills, and also have your rolly cart ready at all times. Well, I love that. So where do you envision the program going in the future? Because this is still, it's kind of like your baby in a way. You've been growing it. You're still doing yeah. it. Oh, the face you're making right now has yeah. so much love. Yeah. Well, um, that is very much in question. Um, although I have done what nobody else, I mean, when somebody dies, nobody can do anything until I, if I'm on vacation or something, they they can't do anything until I get back because nobody feels confident to do a memorial service. And it's, you know, with my background, my past, 
I had I have a master's in pastoral ministry. It's like it's so easy for me. It's so easy, and um, it's been a wonderful um, weaving of whatever I learned in my past life and whatever I'm learning now. It's just been a wonderful um, uh, wedding because I know how important it is to be present. I know how important it is to witness the sufferings of other people. And um, so, but um, I do not know if there's going to be a music therapist at Tewksbury Hospital after I leave. Um, you know, with the state, once a slot is um, vacated, there, there are freezes and people are not, uh, they don't fill it. So it's very much up in the air. That's my understanding. <laughs> so I can't ever leave. <laughs> well, it sounds like you're doing a great job, so you shouldn't leave. I I'm think, getting there. Yeah. I think a lot of us are asked to do those memorial service hmm. type remembrance things because of our musical background. So it's great that you have those two skill sets. And for those people, those of us, I'm going to say, because I don't have that skill set, who don't have that innate ability, haven't learned that from past training, what advice or tips can you give to prepare for and handle those situations if we're feeling intimidated by them? That's a great question. Well, um, to me, a person's life is, is so precious that um, I, I developed a structure. And, you know, to just follow that structure and make it as personal as, as possible. So that, um, you know, there are lots of places to get a prayer and then you have an opening song and then you have a reading and then you have a little response, musical, and then another reading and then you open it up so that people can share stories and then you just have a little response of something that's very personal and then a closing prayer and a closing song. And, um, you know, get the people that feel comfortable reading or praying to do that and you can do the music. That's so simple and it I is. feel like something we should all be taught that we're not. Thank you. Thank you for sharing okay. that. I would, I would like to share. Um, often I'm called to people who are dying and so uh, this woman who was <clears throat> in late stages of Huntington's um, was getting closer and closer to death. Her family were all there. She had never come to a group that I'd done. Never. So I'm thinking, you know, maybe she doesn't like music, maybe she doesn't like me. You know, all these things are going through my head, and so I'm supposed to go in there and do something, and the family is all around. And so I'm, I was standing at the foot of the bed, and she's awake, 
and um, you know her family's just loving her and loving her and so I was supposed to do something and I knew she didn't like religion you know I knew these things so it's like well this should be interesting so I <laughs> so I just started playing a chord and I thought hmm what's gonna happen <laughs> So I'm playing a chord, and I'm playing a chord, and there was a um, there was a custom on the floor for some reason that that people would howl. <laughs> 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 um, it just happened, you know. These wonderful people, and they have groups, and so at some point, somebody started this "ow," you know. Right? So that was just part of the culture of being on that floor. So I'm just playing away, and I don't know whether she started it. I don't think I started it. All at once, it must have been her, it must have been she. She started howling, and her family's like, what, what's going on? And so then, of course, I started howling. And then, um, you know, and I'm just playing the chord and howling away, and the family is like, and I said, it's, it's tradition. Come on, give it a try. So everybody was howling, and it was just what was needed. And to this day, I'm so proud that I didn't put something on them. I waited. I just played a chord, and I waited to see what wanted to happen. <laughs> I love that. It was wild. I, I, I'm sure an onlooker of that situation. <laughs> it's, it's kind of working in, in any of our settings, but especially I feel in those types of settings, you can't make this stuff up. No, you, you can't. You can't. Um, a lot of times we talk about leaving space for the client for processing time mm -hmm. and how it's important to leave that. Uh, but in a way, we're, we're in control of that space. We anticipate it. We right. create it. But it's hard when... You're leaving the space at the same time as thinking, should I be filling this space? What's right. going to come next? What's yeah. happening here? Right. Yeah. 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 And it takes courage. It takes, and humility to just say, I I'm not in charge. <laughs> or I'm only partly in charge. Yeah. Yeah. The, the facilitator mm -hmm. versus, say, the leader right. or... Right. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. Do you have any other really good stories you want to share? Oh, I do. Go ahead. I, I have one that um, anybody that knows me in the music therapy community probably knows this story, but it, it had a profound impact on me. And it was when I was at the nursing home from hell. And um, there were two floors. The bottom floor was with the more alert older people and on the other floor, top floor, was the people who were in various stages of dementia and um, sicker, sicker physically too. So um, every day they would bring Marion who, who sat in a wheelchair and she sat slumped over and she was all just bone, she was just bone, like a bag of bones, and they'd bring her out, and they'd put her out on this porch area, and there she would stay. And 
she never talked really and um so this is this was actually before I came to Tewksbury so I really was rather green and um I you know I just didn't really relate to her that much but I'd bring her to a music I would do a music therapy group and I'd bring her but I just kind of you know have her there so one day a volunteer came in and I said would you like to pass some instruments out so she didn't know she just went around she offered one to Marion a, a tambourine and Marion took it and I went oh that's interesting so then I, we were doing something and Marion started playing it <laughs> I thought well that's interesting so from that point on I would see her and I would just talk to her because I knew she was in there and before that I wasn't smart enough to know that she was in there so after nine months I quit and so I went to say goodbye to each patient so I went to Marion and I said Marion you know whatever I said that it was a pleasure to know her and she looked me in the eye and she said you noticed me said what you noticed me that's all she said and I I just I was so stunned and you know I thought I need to notice everybody I have never forgotten Marion I just so that's one of the things I try and to do is to notice everybody no matter what you know and it's basic we all know it but um it took marion for me to really understand that and try to live it yeah sometimes uh we get so caught up in the the little things i, I need to hold the guitar and facilitate this session <laughs> and pass out the instruments and i'm tired and i've been standing all day um but when we think of the bigger picture, and sometimes it's not even the music that is the most therapeutic thing that happened. That's so true. It's the relationship. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that story. You're welcome. That was so beautiful. Oh. Dear Marion. So... I actually didn't know, you said you went to Emanuel College. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I always get Emanuel and Emerson mixed mm -hmm. up. You went to Emanuel. I didn't know Emanuel had offered a music therapy program. They ha Yes, they had. I don't know when it closed, but uh, Donna was the driving force. Donna Chadwick. Uh, she's <clears throat> an amazing music therapist and... Um, if it weren't for her, I wouldn't be one. So. It's amazing how those the professors we have, the teachers we have early on, so heavily influence who we become as music therapists. Mm -hmm. And I guess, so I went into college right after high school for my music therapy degree. And now looking back, I wish I had understood more 
theoretical mindsets and therapeutic frameworks and could have chosen my education mm. more with more detail in mind I guess not that I, there's anything wrong with what I learned but you you went to school later in life so yeah. did any of those things affect what you looked for or did you just hear music therapy and you're like that's it or let me try again I guess how did your your life experience before your education inform what you learned versus someone like me who started college at 18 for music therapy and right. yeah well um first of all I knew how to play the piano I knew how to play the guitar and had been singing all my life so my musical skills were there and I didn't have to struggle, you know, an 18 year old that has never played the guitar has to learn how to play the guitar. So that made things much easier. Um, I, I was very new to, um, to everything about music therapy, so I, I was just open and um, I didn't know what my population was going to be until one day, again, strange, I was walking at Castle Island and my shoulder hurt and I thought, I want to be with people who are in pain and I want to be in long-term care. That became very clear to me and here I am. So um, something in my life experience might have affected that. Um, I don't know how else to answer that. But thank you. No, I think that was a good answer. We're we're all learning along the way. We sure so, are. Yeah, I I still think it's awesome that your your background training before music therapy in conjunction with your music therapy training allows you to do those memorial services. I'm still stuck on that because <laughs> I think that is such a, an awesome skill set to have huh. that more people should have. You should do a CMTE or something on that. Huh. That's interesting. That's interesting to hear that. Thank you. You're welcome. I'd go to that. <laughs> so you mentioned Donna. Mm -hmm. uh, are there some other people you've met along the way who have influenced your practice, your the trajectory of your career, um, anything like that? Well, my students. <laughs> um, I, it's funny. I never took students. Never took students. I. From 1993 to 2004, I never had a student. And then I, um, I had read DeForia Lane's book, and she came to Boston, and I, and I, she, I wonder if she came to Berkeley. I don't know where she came. Anyway, I somehow met her, and um, we exchanged a little bit you know, just talking a little bit. And she looked at me and she said, you need to have a student. You need to have a student. <laughs> so in 2004, I had my first student from um, Anna Maria. And after that, for the next, I don't know, 14 years, I had a student. And 
they all taught me something. So um, that was a wonderful experience. Um, and uh, I don't know, Joan, Joan Whitcomb, her dedication to uh, people with Alzheimer's was very powerful. And going to conferences and just seeing people and um, I love going to uh, the, the regional conferences. They're wonderful. We'll have to connect at the next one. So um, my in Vermont. Guess, yeah. Mm -hmm. My slogan for this podcast, I guess you could say, is it's a music therapy conference you can listen to anywhere. So that's, that's my vision, is that when people are, you know, getting kind of down, having to do the year, the conference is six months away, they can just listen to this and feel a little bit inspired, hopefully. Hopefully, yeah. Beautiful. Oh, you have any other stories you want to share? Any other thoughts? Um... Just, you know, I go to work and so many people say, oh, it's another day. <laughs> oh, I only have five years and three months and two weeks before I can retire. <laughs> and I, I just think, oh, I am so lucky. I'm so lucky to have a job where I get to be with people all day long, either um, listening to them, talking with them, doing music with them, just being with them. And it's amazing, you know, and it's all in our heads, how we approach the day, how we approach our work. Um, and everybody has something to give us. And, um, it's just a lovely career. And everybody goes, here comes the music lady. <laughs> I said, That's me. That's me. So what would you say to someone who is in our position doing this work but not feeling that? They're feeling bogged down and mm -hmm. counting down the days. What would you tell them? I'd say take a little break. Take a little break be good to yourself and then think oh there's a beautiful chant um, that I've I'm trying to incorporate I am entering into I'm entering into a sacred circle entering into a sacred space I will open my heart and quiet my mind to, for the blessings about to unfold, for the blessings about to unfold. If I can go in with that frame of mind, the sacredness of this circle, and just open my heart and quiet my mind for the blessings about to unfold. Try it, see if it works. <laughs> <laughs>
I love that. And I, I really appreciate that you sang it for us because then we can just play it back whenever we need that reminder. Beautiful. Because it is a mindset shift. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it's easy to get bogged down. And I'm lucky that I don't have to lug my stuff. Yeah. I'm, I'm there. I have a little office all to myself. And every day I just take my car and roll it down. And you have students to help you with that too? <laughs> Not anymore. Not anymore. I haven't had a student for the past couple of years because I didn't know when I was going to retire and everything. My mom died and there were things going on um, that I couldn't take a student. So. That takes a lot of self-awareness. Mm. So, so good for you. Good on you for doing that. Um, depending on when you retire, maybe an intern would be in your future. <laughs> that would be fun. All right. Would you like to move into some rapid fire or do you sure. have anything else you want to add? Oh. All righty. So the questions are short. I ask all the guests these questions, uh, but your answers don't have to be. Okay. All righty. Coffee or tea? Coffee. In the morning. Tea any other time. Like right now, we have our nice tea, mm -hmm. you made scones. Thank you, thank you. Thank you, welcome. Early bird or night owl? Early bird. Definitely. I'm, and I'm happy about that. I get to work an, um, an hour and a half before I'm supposed to so that I can read emails, meditate, go for a walk, and then I'm ready. What does your meditation practice look like? It's sitting sitting and um, in the summer I can be outside at seven o'clock in the morning and sit and listen and just try to follow my breath for like 15 to 20 minutes. And where do you walk in the winter? Around the campus. Yeah, it's beautiful. Tewksbury is a beautiful campus. So you can walk around there. Awesome. Something you would tell your younger self. Um, I have no idea. <laughs> um, be kind to yourself. Good one. Good one. Your music therapy elevator speech. Music therapy is a wonderful, um, way of being with people. Um, you know, I could give all the clinical stuff, but it's, in my heart, it's a way of being with people with music, if that's what helps them. And um, just being there for them. And if music can be helpful, great, great. Trying to soothe them or help them express who they are or um, enliven them or help them to be less anxious. That's it, short elevator ride. 
that was good. And you can you can feel the the passion in in the way you said that, the the grounded way that you that you explain it. I love that. Your favorite self care practice. Getting a wonderful massage every month. Good for you. That's something I want to try. <laughs> Great. Something that's currently adding value to your life. Um, being part of a church community here at, at um, in Andover South Church. To feel less isolated and to. I greeted this morning and, and people came in and I knew so many people's names and it just, it feels so, um, it feels like it's becoming a home for me. So that's great. That's yeah. so wonderful. Yeah. I'm going to tell the listeners that we met and set up this interview through my cousin and aunt who go to South Church with you and have been saying for months, Trisha, you need to interview Christina. She's this awesome woman who goes to our church. She's a music therapist. So awesome that we were able to set this up. Thank you. Your current favorite intervention or song to use in a session? Well... <clears throat> Well, the groups are so different. Um, Can be more than one. Anything that comes to mind. <laughs> um, I I love I love using what a wonderful world because it's just you know the imagery of it is beautiful and um, you know people saying I love you and um, so. The gratitude of that song is, is lovely to use. <laughs> and <laughs> the, our, our newest goodbye song in most, in most of the groups is na 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 na. And I had never heard it. <laughs> so they taught me. They taught it to me. So that's what we use. That's awesome. I love when the clients <laughs> teach us new stuff because it, it makes. We don't have to go looking for it. Right. You know, they know it, they like right. it, they teach right. it to us. That's one of my favorites. So this is usually where I, I let the guest plug themselves and I ask, where can people find you and connect with you? So I know your connection is a little different, but if you would like people to reach out to you, where can they do that? Um, I have an email at Tewksbury Hospital and it's, should I give the email? If you're comfortable, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'll link it in the show notes sure. too. It's Christina dot we met, and that's spelled O U I M E T at state dot M A dot U S. That's the only email I have. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much for making the time. Uh, to talk with me and sharing with our listeners and making me tea and scones. This is such a nice treat from usually sitting in my studio, staring at my computer. So thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Well, it was lovely to be with you, Tisha. Thank you. And I'm, I'm so in awe of what you're doing. 
it's just a gift to all of us and um, mostly to yourself to um, to meet all these fabulous people and to keep learning you know yeah everyone everyone has taught me so much everyone yeah. I talk to I learn something new from it's great thank you thank you for being part of that my pleasure Thanks again for tuning into this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Christina. She is such a grounding presence, very calm, very kind to welcome me into her home for this interview. And I know her experiences as a clinician will help a lot of people out there listening who just need some reassurance sometimes that leaving space and time and trusting the process is okay. I know I always benefit from having those reminders for sure. If you or someone you know is interested in being on the podcast, or if there's someone you want us to reach out to, please let us know by sending an email to feedback at musictherapychronicles.com. Thank you so much for listening to this week's show, and I'll see you in the next one. Mm-hmm.